I'm going to pray, and then we will be in 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would be with us now as we open it and uh, teach us, help us understand uh, the depths of all that's there as we look at the story of Naaman. And um, Lord, I pray for myself that you would strengthen me to uh, make it physically, but also uh, mentally be able to communicate your word effectively and uh, explain the text in a way that uh, leads us all towards deep belief in Jesus and a love for Jesus. Uh, I pray that as we look at your text this morning, that all of us would be drawn towards mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Second Kings chapter 5, this is where we're picking up. Uh, we have the story of this man named Naaman who's healed of leprosy. You can see there in verse 1 it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. So he's not an Israelite. And it, we'll read the entire first verse. And it kind of ends with a big thud. <laughs> Naaman, because... It, Makes him sound awesome, right? And then, oh yeah, he has this bad thing. Naaman, uh, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master in high favor because by him the Lord had seen, given Victoria to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. That, if we stop there, it's pretty great. But he was a leper. Um, he had this massive problem that was in his life, which he disliked greatly. Uh, one commentator says about the story of Naaman in second Kings chapter five says the story of Naaman's conversion is one of the most detailed and one of the most sociologically and psychologically rich conversions in the entire Bible. Almost for the first time, the Bible depicts the change of mind and heart, as well as the change of status that occurs when a sinner turns to the God of Israel. So it's a pretty amazing story here as we're looking at the, the, uh, this man, Naaman, not an Israelite, but uh, wants to be healed. And uh, in their fightings, the, Syria had gone, and as they had gone to fight Israel, they had taken someone, this little, this little girl from Israel, and brought them back. And she was near him at the time. You can see what's going to be happening. And we're going to see, as we're looking at this entire story, uh, ways that we can, as uh, you know, a church in 2020, 2020, yeah, in 2020, uh, be on mission for Christ. Would you, how's that possible? Well, you'll see. It's definitely all in the text, but I want you to see um, the grace that's shown to the Gentile here, Naaman, um, specifically through Elisha, uh, which is really through God, the grace that's shown to the Gentile and how it informs our ability to do mission. So, starting in verse 1, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. But he was a leper. So, the first thing I want you to see is this. Uh, here, he has great need. He's, he's got all kinds of things going on in life, but he still has great need in that he's a leper. Uh, so for us, that means as we look at this, um, 
like he still needs the Lord, but he's a leper. We can look around in our city and we can notice the great needs in our city and our neighborhood and our spheres of influence. You live in a neighborhood. You have people around you that are in your sphere of influence. Uh, you live in this city uh, and all around you there's there's need. Here we see this particular guy named Naaman. He, he has a need where he is a leper. Uh, leprosy back then, it wasn't great. Ancient leprosy began as small red spots on the skin. Before too long, the spots would get bigger and turn to white with sort of shiny or scaly appearance. Pretty soon, the spots spread over the whole body and the hair falls out, first from the head, then from the eyebrows. As things get worse, fingernails and toenails become loose. They start to rot and eventually fall off. Then the joints of fingers and toes begin to rot and fall off piece by piece. Gums begin to shrink and they can't hold the teeth in anymore. And so they start, uh, they start losing those as well. Leprosy keeps eating away at your face until literally the nose, the palate, the, and even the eyes rot out. Uh, the victim wastes away until death happens. That's what's going on in this man's life. Now, he still must have been early in his life because you can see all these things it says. He's, the, he's a uh, uh, commander of the army, a mighty man of valor, etc. But those things are going to happen. Um, and so uh, w- what I want you to realize is that um, this man, though he's a leper and though he's not an, an Israelite, he's a Gentile that did not put him out of the realm of somebody uh, mentioning to him, there is a God, his name's Yahweh, and he can heal you. Even though you're a, an enemy really of Israel uh, and you're a leper, I mean, you're an outcast, that doesn't mean that you're too far gone to be saved by the, by the Lord. And so as we're seeing this, um, notice the great need in our city, neighborhood, spheres of influence. Notice the needs that people have, but also as you notice the needs that people have. Don't ever think that, that certain people around you are just too far gone and there's no way that they'll ever come to Christ. I mean, this guy Naaman is pretty far. He's, he's a, a king of Syria, the commander of the king of Syria, and he's a leper. He's got all kinds of strikes against him. Um, but still... Uh, the Lord's going to do a, a mighty work in his life. Uh, Naaman is actually even mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, where the prophet has no uh, esteem in his hometown, that particular story, if you look at it, uh, the people are rejecting Jesus and a great work can't happen in there. Uh, and, through Jesus, and because they're rejecting him, Jesus looks at him and he says, this old story of Naaman, and he says, basically, uh, there was lots of lepers in Israel a long time ago. And you know who got healed? Naaman. That's what he's looking at his, at his, his hometown and telling him. In other words, you're Israel, but you don't believe. There was a lot of people back then. I mean, we're in the, we're in the kings here. The, the people weren't walking with God, right? Um, and he's saying there were a lot of people that were Israelites that were lepers. But you know who got healed? The Gentile. And that's the reason why I'm not working with you right here. Meaning Gentiles, people that are really far off, people that are uh, massively away from the Lord, they can also be healed. So as, as you're missiologically thinking about how the Lord's called you to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, don't in your mind think that there's people around you that there's just no way. There's no way. I mean, these people for sure, but those people, no way. 
So number one, think about the great need around you. Look in your, in your neighborhood, look in your spheres of influence. The Lord has put you where he's put you on purpose. Uh, you live in your house and in your neighborhood near your sphere of influence differently than the other people in the church. And we all have people around us that we can look, look at and think, okay, maybe the Lord wants me to reach this particular person. So number one, notice the great need. This particular man, Naaman, had great need. He was a leper and he was a Gentile, far away from the Lord. And we're going to see here, uh, in all unlikely scenarios, who's going to be really the, the, the evangelist. Verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So... The Syrians had gone and done a raid, stolen away. She thought I said Siri. Uh, Syrians. Didn't happen that time. So the Syrians had gone and done a raid uh, in Israel. And wherever they had gone to Israel, they stole a little girl, brought him back to Naaman's house. And as she, this little girl, who's not with her parents anymore, don't even know if her parents are alive, probably not, probably killed by the Syrians in front of her, Right. She's sitting there and she's looking at Naaman with all of this leprosy. The person that stole her away, very St. Patrick-like, looks at this guy and says, she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now she's thinking of Elisha. She's like, there's a prophet in Elisha back, back home. I mean, he would heal Naaman. He would heal him right away. That's pretty amazing, right? She should have... In your, in your mind, at least I would think, quite a lot of disdain towards this guy, Naaman, who ripped her away from her family. But what does she do? In a very uh, evangelistic type manner, she says, this guy right here can be healed by somebody back from my hometown, uh, which is an amazingly bold little girl. She's probably the hero of the entire story. Like I said, she's very St. Patrick-like. Um, if you don't know that story, he was in Ireland, held by captives who finally got free and went over to England and was like, finally free from the people that, that captive, captivated not captivated, held me captive. And so uh, then he felt bad and he went back to him and became a missionary to the Irish. He wasn't Irish. He despised the Irish for a while. Um, and same way. And so what does she do? She, she in a uh, loving manner, tells this man, Naaman, who had likely captured her, captured her. You, could, you could go back, captured her. You could go back and uh, be healed. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, uh, this is what he said. We don't speak like this. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And basically that just means everything you just read before, uh, I'm telling you right now. And I can be healed is basically what he said. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter uh, to the king of Israel. I, I, that sounds good. I want you to be healed. I don't want you, you're a good, you're a good commander. I don't want you to rot away in front of me. I could use you as your, as the commander. So let me write a little letter and we'll send it off. Um, but brings us to the point that we're trying to make here. Number two, uh, as you notice in number one, go back to number one real fast. Sorry. As you notice the great need around you in your city, in your neighborhood, your cities, your spheres of influence, as you notice, um, which it's easy to notice, we need to we need to take this bold step to number two and actually be bold like this girl. Go ahead. Number two, be intentionally bold for Christ. So whenever you look around at you, this little girl, didn't, she, didn't have, she was very bold. She didn't have to say a word, right? Why, why help this guy? Uh, why help this guy become a believer in Yahweh? Uh, she's going to. 
We need to do the same. We need to be just as bold as her. She's been capt- uh, captured by them. This little, this little maid, girl maid can be used. So can we. She looks at him and she says, you can, you can be healed. So in the same way, we need to be in- intentionally bold for Christ. If God, if, if this little girl can be bold, right, then we can. We certainly can. So as you survey your city, as you survey your neighborhood, as you survey your spheres of influence, you see need, you see the, the lepers around you that uh, have great need, uh, but also you see the Gentiles around you, those who are just really anti-Jesus. Um, you should be bold. I should be bold. We should be bold to be able to say to these people, uh, there's a person that you need to meet and his name is Christ. He can heal you. Just like she said, um, that's what she did. She told him that there's a man that could cure. Uh, she was bold and she was intentional and we should never underestimate the power that our words, just our words can do whenever we speak towards people. Um, the prophet priest king of our life, Jesus can heal them. So, uh, use your words and be bold in this particular, uh, city that you live in. Give someone a book, invite them to church, pray for them. Uh, ask them if you can pray for them. If you know that they're sick, bring them something, uh, pay the bill that you know that they have, uh, start a ministry that you've always wanted to. It doesn't even have to be something like the remedy elders say, yes, you should. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. You can just take the initiative and start it. Uh, do all these things, be intentionally like think out of the, out of the box, uh, bold, and start uh, seeing what the Lord wants you to do. You, whenever you start a ministry, um, because we've lived in an American church for so long, sometimes we think that unless it's church sanctioned, that we're not even allowed to do it. Um, and that's just not the case. Tell us, I, I want to know, but whether it's church sanctioned and it's an official program or not, it is really not that important. If the Lord's laid it on your heart, then you can do it. There doesn't have to be a program at the church for every single thing that happens. As a believer, because you're also just a Christian, right? Part of the church, start something that reaches people. Whether the church adapts it and starts uh, doing it with you or not, maybe, maybe not. That's okay, right? You're still a Christian. And so you don't have to wait for the church to start a program so you can finally start doing mission since you're a Christian, you can just do mission. We have programs. We have things. We want you to be at them. Evangelism Project, as I said, February 29th. Come to that, right? There's things we do, but you can also think outside the box in the way that the Lord's gifted you and be bold and step out like her. And uh, as you survey need, try to meet those needs. So here we have, I got a cough. <coughs> Sorry. Um, here we have the king of Syria said he's going to write a letter to the king of Israel. At this particular time, the king of Israel was not a good king. Uh, likely, it doesn't name him, but likely it's Jehoram, as it describes in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 2. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though he was not his fa- like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, uh, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He did not depart from it. So he's not a great guy. So this king, uh, since he's not a great guy, isn't really close to Elisha. And he's just super suspicious. So suspicious. So whenever uh, 
the king of Syria writes, he just thinks the king of Syria is trying to start a war with me. That's all he's trying to do here. Um, so he's not, he's not the best king, but still, he's going to write a letter and he's going to see what he can do. Um, so he went taking with him 10 talents. This is Naaman. So he went with him taking 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and t- 10 changes of clothes. Back then, that was a big deal. They didn't have the gap, you know, so, or whatever you buy your clothes from uh, right around the corner. Uh, so he took all this with him. Uh, one commentator said that uh, this adds up to maybe one, like, equivalent for us, $1.2 million. This is that's showing just really how desperate he was and how badly the king of Syria, not just Naaman, but also the king of Syria, want him to be healed. Um, but, obviously, the grace of God isn't for sale. So you can't buy things. Elisha's not going to do it. But also... It does show us just how desperate this man was to be healed. Just like the people around you. Just like the people around you. They want to be healed. They, can't, might, they might not be able to put it into words, but they have this thing inside them that desperately knows they need to be forgiven of their sin by, the, by God. And they just, they don't know how to formulate it. They know whenever they think about it that it's there. And they're fearful. This is what's going on. We live in a world that's desperate for healing, all too often trying to achieve it the wrong way. Um, He's going to try to buy it. So you can see here, uh, when he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, (coughs) excuse me, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man sends to me a cure, sends word to me to cure this man of leprosy. Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. So he thinks he's just trying to start a fight with me. Um, And he says he tears his clothes. Now, it seems like he's having a temper tantrum uh, tearing his clothes. But likely it's not. It's more of a cultural thing that was done whenever you're angry. Uh, And he's upset here for likely at least two reasons. First... He knew that it was out of his power to heal Naaman. Uh, he, w- he wasn't able to do it. That's something that the prophets were able to do, which showed that he's weak. And the king of Assyria assumed that he had a relationship uh, with Elisha. And so uh, he was likely upset about that. It's easy to assume that uh, just because you're the king of Israel, that you also have a relationship with the prophet who represents God. So it's easy to assume that you have an actual relationship with God since you're the king of Israel. Um, it's, it's in the same way, kind of a modern day equivalent. It's easy to assume that just because someone comes to church that they have a relationship with God. That, that's not the case. Um, as Dale Davis says, the king has the name of Israel, but not the faith of Israel. Like him, people can be numbered among God's outward people like go to church, call themselves Christians, yet not live life. Uh, and yet they live life without God. Uh, and sec- the second thing that upset him is not only that it showed that he is, didn't have the power to heal Naaman, it showed that he had no relationship with the man, Elisha, that could heal him. So he didn't have the power and he didn't have a relationship with Elisha, the man that could actually do something about this. And so uh, he just assumes the worst. He's just trying to start a fight with me, king of Syria. And he didn't want to do that. So verse 8 though. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, 
Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Elisha hears that there's a problem and he sent word to the king saying, come do something. Come, come bring this guy. I want to, I want to, I want to be able to be a part of this. So he, he knows that there's an issue. And because he knows that there's an issue, uh, he sees it as an opportunity to see God at work. And he says, here, bring the guy here. I want to do something. Number three, um, he sees this as a specific opportunity. So notice the specific opportunities that God places in your life. For Elisha, it just kind of fell in his lap, right? Here's an opportunity, Elisha, for you to be able to do something. We're going to have those. Those are going to happen for us. If you pray every morning, Holy Spirit, please help me see the specific opportunities that fall in my lap today. I promise you'll see them more than likely than if you don't pray that. If you don't pray that every morning, then you'll miss those opportunities that fall in your lap that I noticed that in my own life, the more I pray in the morning, the more I actually see them throughout the day. If I don't do that, then I totally miss them. And I'll look at that back at the end of the day. And I'm like, Oh man, that was a, that was a golden opportunity. I'll give you an example. Here's one. Um, Aiden had a, uh, football program or he played football this past fall. Uh, and at the end of the time, he like had a little time where the, all the kids got together and they, 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 climbed up the little thing there and jumped around at the place that air, what's it called? I can't remember. Over at Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, behind Chick-fil-A where you jump up and down, right? And then they went to, I don't know why, but they went to a restaurant, uh, uh, Golden Corral afterwards. Not a fan of Golden Corral. So uh, I, I ate at Chick-fil-A on the way to Golden Corral. Um, so anyway, the, 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 I had maintained a decent relationship with the coach the entire time. Just kind of talked to him every time. I always was out there just in case Aiden got hurt, you know, didn't want him to get hurt. And so I was there every practice. And then afterwards, uh, they brought them all into this tiny little room because someone forgot to book the room. And so they pushed them into this little room and then they did awards or whatever. And then it was all over. And then everybody was kind of stuffed in there. And he looks at me. I don't know why, but he looks at me and he goes, do you have anything you want to say? And I was like, uh, No no, congrats, you know, and that was it. And afterwards I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. Like everybody was there. I could have taken three minutes to tell them the gospel. What the world's wrong with me? I could have just done John three sixteen, something so basic, like 25 kids here, all their parents. I've been hanging out with them the whole semester. What the world is wrong with me? I cannot believe I didn't say anything like, oh no, congrats. Like, so there it was, right? But it's because I woke up that morning, not thinking about it. And I didn't pray for it that morning. Lord, give me opportunities. And when it fell in my lap, I totally missed it. I totally missed it, right? But uh, here, Elisha doesn't. It falls right in his lap. And he's like, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. We're, bring him here. I'm going to help. I think that we all can uh, seek specific opportunities in our life that God places and take advantage of them. He's going to do that. Um, as John 4, 35 says, look, I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. There are so many opportunities for us. Uh, And if we pray the Lord would help us give us eyes to see them, we would see them a whole lot more. Um, But the fields are white for the harvest. There's all kinds of need out there. All kinds of people that are the low-hanging fruit on the tree uh, that that will just likely believe if we tell them. Now, um, here's one little part is uh, Naaman wants to be healed in a certain way and Elisha's not going to do it. So we'll see how that works out. But when Elisha, the man of God heard, I'm at verse eight, that he had 
torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? <coughs> Sorry. Let him come to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. He's expecting uh, to be served with greatness because I'm here. Naaman's here. I'm the, I'm the commander and I'm standing here at the door. I'm expecting great things. Um, and Elisha, instead of coming himself, this, it offends him greatly. Elisha sends a messenger to him and tells him how to be healed. So he, he's not going to uh, comply with nation's view, Nathan, Naaman's view of himself. Naaman thought he was awesome. Uh, I am awesome. I'm Naaman, right? Uh, but Elisha isn't necessarily phased by this. And he just sends uh, a messenger over to him and says, you want to be healed? Here's the directions. Uh, follow it. Now, uh, Naaman's greatly dismayed by this. You can see he stood at the door and Elisha sent a messenger to him, said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. So there it is. Like, here's the answer. Send him over to me. I send a little messenger to him. Wash in the Jordan seven times. You're going to be healed. Naaman's offended. Naaman's offended. Uh, as Tony Marita says, the gospel must first humble us before it heals us. Because Naaman had a high view of himself and he wasn't willing to just take the instructions and be healed. He needed for people to think that he was awesome. Uh, and that's not what happens here. You can see, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I, <laughs> this is, strikes me as so funny. Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and wave his hands all over the place and cure the leper. I just picture what he had in his mind. He's like, you know, doing some kind of magic spell like Dr. Strange or something. Um, Marvel people. Anyway. All right. So, uh, I, he had this, he had this funny view in his, in his head of what the way it was supposed to going to happen, but that's not what was going on for Elisha. He tells him, this is what, this is how I can meet your physical need. Here it is. I'm going to find it and I'm going to meet it. So number four, um, Find and meet people's physical needs that live, work, and play around you. This is what Elisha does. He noticed that there's a need. He, needs, he has leprosy. He needs to be healed. Sends a messenger over to him. Go to the Jordan, wash seven times. You'll be healed. Um, now, it wasn't the way that Naaman wanted it. But nevertheless, that's, that's what he did. He found a way to heal him. He told him what it was. So you won't likely heal people of leprosy. That was, that was Naaman's physical need at the time. But there are people around you that have physical needs, probably not leprosy. We're not watching people's noses fall off anymore, but they do have physical needs. And so in the same way that Naaman uh, was he, was, had the opportunity to be healed, given to him by Elisha, you can do that. So uh, we want to tell them the gospel of Jesus so they can get saved, right? That's what we want. But sometimes people are so hungry that they won't listen to the gospel yet. Like they'll just, if they're so hungry and you're trying to get them saved, they're going to say whatever you want because they want food. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Jesus. That's what I want. Can I have the food now? Like, or whatever the need is like I, my electric bill needs to be paid. Yes. I believe in Jesus. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it so that you can help me with my electric bill. Right? So sometimes there have, there has to be a, a, a meeting of the physical need. And after that happens, now we can tell them the gospel. We want them to trust in Christ, but sometimes we have to meet their physical need. So find and meet people's physical needs that live, work, and play around you. And that is 
That is for the opportunity to be able to tell the gospel to them. They won't listen sometimes. They can't. They're, they're too fearful of this thing or too hungry or, or something's going on in their life there. They're literally going to say whatever you want them to say so that they can have that need met. So uh, we want to tell them the gospel, but sometimes it's not going to happen right away. Uh, so Naaman, Naaman's physical need is uh, leprosy. And there's biblical patterns for this, by the way. If you look at Mark 2, John 5, Acts 3, uh, Jesus does it where he meets their physical need and then heals them or tells them the gospel. Now, Naaman's angry. He's angry because the expectation of how God was supposed to work was crushed. Uh, he had in his mind the way that God was going to work, and he was offended because he just said, he was told, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And he's like, I thought he would come out and wave his hands all over the place. Uh, one, one commentator says, uh, Naaman expected Israel's God and prophet to be just like what he had, what he had known at home, itching palms and magic shows. He had brought plenty of money, and so he expected the prophet to deliver a, an, an amazing magic show. Naaman wanted a vending machine grace. Put your money in, take your blessing. The prophet was expected uh, to appear, accept the pay, and wave his hand on the spot to cure him of his leprosy. Elisha wanted to show how different he was from these, pers- these professed wonder workers that Naaman uh, may, have been, may have known. Hence, the healing was to take place at the Jordan, far from Samaria, where the prophet was. In this way, doing it this way, instead of the, the hand wave in Dr. Strange method, and doing it this way, going to the Jordan, no one would think that Elisha's awesome. No one would think that Elisha gets all the glory. In this way, he writes, God would be recognized as had, having done the work. God would be recognized as being faithful to his word and that no one would have determined that it was because of the personality of the prophet. So Elisha wants God to get all the glory. Elisha wants God to get all the glory. But Naaman doesn't understand this. He wants it done his way. And so uh, he even says, um, I want to wave my hands all over the place. Uh, I thought he would have cured me this way. And then he even doesn't like the, the river. Like, why the Jordan, verse 12, are not the Arbana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in rage. My way is better than your way, God. That's what he's saying. Farpar and Abana, they're better than Jordan. Why not? How can I, how can I come back and have my rivers? My ways are better and my ideas are better than yours, God. No, go wash in the Jordan. Um, God has uh, a way that he had told him that it's supposed to be done, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. Um, God saves in his way. He doesn't save in our way. He has a way, namely, specifically, through Jesus. The world can get upset at it. Like, you can, you can tell the gospel to one person, and they can think it's awesome, and you can tell the same message to someone else, and they can think it's terrible. That's what it tells us what is uh, the... Um, in Second Corinthians, my mind's going blank. Uh, the message of life to one and message of death to the other. Naaman's reluctance to accept God's remedy of going to the Jordan is symptomatic of man's determination to secure their own spiritual healing in their own certain way rather than doing it in God's way. Go to the Jordan. That's preposterous. Why would I do that? <coughs> so he turned away in rage because his unmet expectation... Um, 
his, his expectation wasn't met. And this is what it looks like when you put God in a box and expect him to move in your certain way instead of bring, being submissive to how God chooses, chooses to move. So maybe the better application point is not just kind of pointing our finger at Naaman and saying, look how terrible this guy is. But let's internalize that for a second. Let's think about it from our own perspective. What's your Abana and Farbar? What's your Abana and Farbar? What's the way that you think God needs to move in your life? No, God, this way is better, not the way that you've prescribed. I think that sometimes we can think our plans can be better than God's as well. And we have a certain way that we want it to happen rather than God's. Spurgeon, looking at this, prescribes two reasons why we would want it our way instead of God's. The two enemies of Naaman here uh, in his own heart and the two enemies of us when we want our way instead of God's. One, pride. Um, He had pride because Elisha wouldn't come out to the doorway and meet him and he sent a messenger. And so he's just going to rebel against anything that's said. Two, evil questioning. Why should he follow God's way and go wash in the Jordan? We can be the exact same way. We can be prideful and we can have evil questioning towards God's ways. Why, why this way, God? Um, it's okay in some ways to ask why in the beginning. If it perpetuates for years and years and years, then it might not be good. It might not be good. And so we should stop and think, man, if, if he's this way, I can be this way. Um, but bring it back to the text here. Um, and this is great. The first three words of verse 13 are so good. So good. But his servants came near and said, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Like, you're, you're upset about the process and you're missing the end result. Like, so what? Go to Jordan. Go to the Jordan River. Like, you get to be clean and you don't like how it's supposed to happen. What are you doing? But his servants, the servants bring clarity to his rage. Um, hopefully you have servants in your life that can do that for you whenever you're thinking crazy. My kids do this for me all the time. Dad, uh, you said, the Bible says, da, 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 but you did, da, 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 da. How many times have I heard that? So many times, right? So many times you're just like, man, am I going to get anything right? (laughs) Right? Hopefully you have these people. What we should do is not be prideful um, like Spurgeon prescribes to us, but be submissive and listen. Perhaps it's your wife. Perhaps it's your husband. Perhaps it's your roommate. Perhaps it's your community group leader. Perhaps it's your GCD partner. Perhaps it's your dad or your mom. I don't know. Hopefully you have somebody in your life that whenever they see that you are upset and not thinking clearly about God's prescriptions, they say, but, but are, you, are, are you missing something? How about this? We don't get uh, prideful, but instead we stop and we listen. Like you can be healed. You can be clean. We should listen, right? Um, will you not do it? A simple plea. This petition is made with great love to Naaman for people that really love him. And want him to be healed. This is the exact kind of love that we need to display. Whenever they say in verse 13. My uh, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken. Will you not do it? 
He's actually said, wash and be clean. Those are almost the exact same words that we can say to someone that's not a Christian. Will you not accept Christ? You can be clean. With the same love and compassion those servants probably had to say to Naaman. We should say it to other people as well that don't know Jesus. And then it says, so he went, (coughs) 14, he went and dipped himself seven times. By the way, you know, this is written in Hebrew, but at one point they decided to translate the Hebrew into Greek. Uh, the Old Testament into Greek, just like the New Testament's written in Greek. That's called the Septuagint, the LXX. And that right there, that word dipped is baptizo, uh, immerse, baptize. Just a side note um, uh, that, you know, baptism is immersion, uh, not sprinkling. So dipped, uh, you should, and this is his baptism. This is in very, a lot of ways his baptism. He went and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh, look at that, of a little child. There's a big difference between 45-year-old and 65-year-old skin and little kids, right? The little kids are just like, wow, look at that. The sun hasn't messed you up at all yet. And it says, restored like the flesh of a little child. Now, uh, the writer is warning us to not miss something. There's a little wordplay here with little child uh, and with verse 2, little girl. Those Little, little child and little, little girl are being put together so that we can see here that because of the boldness of the little girl who was the hero of everything, he was then restored to look physically like this, this child. He had, uh, because of her, spiritually exercised faith in Elisha and he becomes physically healed, restored to look like the, child, the little girl's skin. Um, and so he was restored like the, the, like the flesh of a little child here, and he was made clean. That's the result. Uh, he was made clean. And so um, for us to be healed spiritually, we must also... He, he put his faith in the word of, the, of Elisha, the prophet, and he was healed. And for us to be healed spiritually, we also must put our faith in God's man, the prophet, yes, but not just a prophet, right? He is the greater, truer and greater Elisha, the ultimate prophet, the great physician, Jesus. He's the one that heals us spiritually because he died on the cross for our sins. And he's the prophet that exhorts us to a life. Our prophet, priest, king, he made the sacrifice for us. And he's, he's the one that actually uh, bankrolls the entire transaction as well. And it's infinitely more than $1.2 million, right? $1.2 million is nothing compared to the cost of Christ whenever he went and gave his life on the cross for us to be saved. Now, we need to remember that Old Testament salvations are not worded as precisely as New Testament salvations because Christ had not come yet, but still, uh, they are very similar in a lot of ways. And so, um, verse 15 says, Then he returned to the man, Elisha. After all this happens, he comes back, right? Then he returned, comes back, He and all his company came to him and stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but Israel. So not only was he healed, now he's become a believer in Yahweh. He's also become a believer in Yahweh. Uh, But he returned, right? Verse 15, verse 15, then he returned. So this brings us to number five. Always look for the moment when you can tell them the gospel and they can believe in Jesus. Look for the moment to call for faith in the gospel of Jesus. Now, in this particular verse, in this particular pericope, this story right here, it had happened. It seemingly, he comes back and he says, I know that there's only one God and it's Yahweh. 
Elisha met his physical need. He becomes a follower. He has faith in God. That won't always happen when you meet a physical need. Sometimes you also have to tell the gospel to him. So here it did. Um, but for us, sometimes it won't. So we need to, as it says in verse 5, look for the moment to call for faith. This man had faith in Yahweh because of what had happened. And sometimes when you meet a physical need, you need to verbally call for faith. Hey, you know what? Uh, I know that this need that you just had that was met, that's awesome. But you have a greater need. Like, your, your soul needs to be saved. You know that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And you can walk through that and say... Uh, why not believe today? This, that's the way I usually say it. Hey, I've told you the gospel of Jesus. You can walk through John three sixteen. You can walk through any evangelism thing you have in your head. And afterwards, you, you can put it out there. You can become a Christian, trust in Christ. And they say, well, okay, maybe. It, I'll think about it. Always say this afterwards. Why not do it right now? Just right now. What, what will we wait for? You can be a Christian right now. Um, I know that that can become awkward, right? But we shouldn't put off the awkwardness uh, because in some cases, and I've, I've experienced it, they say, okay, yeah, right now, let's, let's do it. How, how do I do that? All right, let, let's talk. Like you should tell them right now. Uh, so always look for the moment to call for faith. Why not do that right now? Well, this is what had happened here. He had already become a follower. I know that there's no other God in all the earth excuse me, except for Israel. So except now a present from your servant. So he, he wanted to still give some money and, and he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So uh, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. This is what Elisha says. Salvation's free still. Um, was then and it still is now. Uh, no, I'm not taking anything. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mules load of earth uh, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. Um, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. Now, this is a little side note in 18. Uh, remember, he's still the king of, uh, he serves the king of Syria and he's a commander. And basically he's going to say, listen, I'm a Christian now, but my job requires me to go into this temple with the king of Syria sometimes. Uh, I, I don't really want to do it, but my job requires me to do this thing that's acting like worship. Uh, so what, what do I do? Like, I still have this job and this job requires me to be a part of this pagan thing. I don't believe it anymore, but I still got to do it. And basically, Elisha in verse 19, just says, go in peace. The Lord knows that you actually have a conscience towards that thing. And the Lord knows that you know that it's not right. And so since you realize it, it's fine. Just, you know, you obviously don't believe it. You can see it in verse 18. In this matter, the Lord pardon your servant. My master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So my job description requires that I do this thing. It could be eventually that Naaman's just like, my conscience can't allow me to do this anymore. But at the moment, this is his job. And he's like, I, this is my job. What do I do? And he's, you can see it. He says in verse 19, go in peace. So it's fine. It's okay that you can do that. Well, uh, if you... Uh, keep going. He's going to offer some money to Gehazi. Gehazi bad ends up being bad. So that, that's a whole nother story. But what I want us to see here is that uh, Elisha, uh, Naaman now has become a very uh, 
Because of the transformation, he's become a very generous person. He wants to pay. He wants to do things. He wants to give people. He wants to do right. He even wants to make sure in his job that he's doing right. So number six, that's the last thing. Rejoice that there's a new follower of Christ that has had a transformation and now join us on mission. Join us on mission. So uh, he's obviously a new Christ follower. He has been transformed unbelievably. He's been made clean. His leprosy is gone. He's been made clean, um, not only just uh, physically, but also spiritually. He declares, verse 15, that he knows that there's no other God besides Yahweh. He's generous. He's, uh, let me pay for this. I want, I want to pay for these things if I can. Elisha's like, no, 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 you don't have to. But still, we can see generosity has entered him. And he's a conscientious Christian. Like, I, I know that my job requires something that looks like worship, but it's not. I still want to worship God. So he has like this amazing transformation that's happened in his life. And we should notice these things and rejoice this unbelievable transformation that's happened. And then also realize God has another missionary now. God has another missionary. So if you reach someone, one of the best things that you can do is let them know that they can join you with being on mission now. If you don't know this, new Christians are usually super excited and a lot better at evangelism than older Christians. I don't know why. I don't know why they just don't know the rules. They don't know that there's rules like, oh, we're supposed to be quiet and not tell anybody now. That's sarcasm. Um, but new Christians, they don't know this. Hey, you should trust Jesus. And like, we, have, we say it differently now. We, we, we candy coat it and like, don't say stuff. Like, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. But you ever notice that? They're super bold. They're super bold at first because they realize um, they just, in that moment, crossed over from eternal death to eternal life. And we've been separated from that truth so much that I think we've become numb to the fact that we were dying and going to hell and now we're not. But they're super close to that and they still haven't gotten over that yet. And we shouldn't either. But we should rejoice that a new Christian has had this amazing transformation. And when they do say, guess what? Let me take you to Matthew 28. You get to get on on the greatest thing in the world. It's called the Great Commission. Come be a part of this with me. So how does this apply to Remedy? Um, the mission of th- this is, uh, Kevin DeYoung and, uh, Gilbert, they wrote a book. What's the mission of the church? And they said, the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and eternity to the glory of God, the father. So, this is how it applies. The main mission of all churches, we, we've, we've collapsed that into community mission care, but that still means what they say, right? Um, our job is to go into the world, make disciples by telling them the gospel of Jesus, and then gathering them into our church or other churches so that they can also worship Jesus, obey Jesus, and do the same thing. And so we want to be a part of that. We want to do that, which means this, um, if we take this story and kind of put it into remedy, that means you, specifically you, you are Remedies Elisha. Every single one of you. You're all Remedies Elisha. Every single one of you have the message of reconciliation and have some means of meeting physical needs of people so that you can tell them the gospel. Every single one of us are uh, equipped with the hope to be able to tell people and change their lives. It's going to take every single one of us in this church to take the posture of the little servant girl. Amazingly bold. Even though you might have been wronged. Because uh, she was desperately wronged. 
to love them in, in spite of that so that they could hear the message of hope and be transformed by this gospel. Second Corinthians 5.17 is what's true of us and what's true of Naaman. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. So, Remedy, let's, let's take up this task that the Lord has given us. Let's do the hard work of self-examination. Let's confess all of our shortcomings in regard to mission. Um, let's pray every morning to look for opportunities that the Lord has dumped into our lap to tell people the message of the gospel because we've all now become uh, new creations in Christ. And let's take this bold message like the little girl to our spheres of influence and see what Christ will do with us. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We love you, God, and we pray that uh, you would use us and use this church mightily in the city, in our neighborhoods, and the people that we know, and that we would recognize quickly uh, the needs that people have around us, and that we would want to meet those needs out of love for Christ and out of love for them, um, and that we would also proclaim the gospel boldly so that they can uh, become believers in Jesus. Burden our hearts for those around us so that we uh, deeply care for them. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.